Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Yes OBS. I am, as ever, Anthony Edmondson and with my good friend... Paul Anthony Jones. Hey, see, last week when I did that, I tried to introduce you and then you were just silent. Oh, yeah, for I, a I, I don't respond to cues very well. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded quite professional for us. It did, actually. I'm really proud of that. We don't have to edit this again. It's about time we worked it out by the end of the series. <laughs> <laughs> so we're actually, we're at the end of season two. Mm. So for kind of people who are paying attention, we're kind of running these in seasons of six episodes. Yeah. I honestly couldn't tell you who's winning this season. No, I can't remember. We should probably have checked this before we started. <laughs> no, I'm just going to assume. <laughs> I'm winning. I'm going to presume that I'm winning. Well, we'll we'll see. Someone, <laughs> someone will check this for us. We're not going to get anywhere here. But I've got some. I'm trying to go. I'm trying to go out big. Okay. On the last episode. Right. I'm braced. So mm-hmm. kind of just getting straight into it. Okay. I'm going to throw out some bonus points straight. Oh no! Straight out the gate. You did this at Christmas. And it ended with the biggest score discrepancy (laughs) ever. The last time I was generous enough to give a bonus point, I lost 6-1, I think it was. Yeah, it was 6-1, yeah. But we're going to start off with... I kind of... I want to ease into this one. So we're going to start off with just a quick rundown of the ancient wonders of the world. Oh, right, okay. Very popular. Yeah. Seven wonders of the world. There's... Uh been quite a few different lists of these are the proper seven wonders. Yeah. But Paul, here's your pop quiz. Oh, right. Okay. If you can name all seven of the original Hellenic ancient wonders of the world. Right. You get a bonus point. Oh, right. Okay. go. The pyramids. Yes. Um, The Pharos of Alexandria. Is, is that, does that, does that does, count? Does, that's a lighthouse. Yes. Yeah. That's the one. Uh, the mausoleum was one of them. Ooh. Muse- mausoleum at... Is Helicarnassus? Yes, you're three for three so far. Um, ah, now the Hang Gardens of Babylon. Yes, that's four. I'm running out of steam here. One of them was a library, I think. Have uh, I made that up? That's there's a great library at Alexandria, but that wasn't considered one of the seven right. ancient wonders. One of them was at Parnassus, and I can't remember what. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, a statue of <clears throat> Zeus. At Olympia. Yes, that's five. Two more. <laughs> Were you expecting <laughs> us to get any of these? I wasn't expecting to get like half <laughs> are, you reg- of them. are you regretting this point? I am. Point? I'm going to withdraw had, this point if you get them. So I had two, two left. More. I know that the pyramids <clears throat> were the only ones are the only ones still standing. I'm going to start counting you down here. Oh, um, oh I, do, I, do, I don't think I'll remember then. So, obvious one. Colossus of Rhodes. Yeah. You've missed Colossus of Rhodes. What was the Colossus of Rhodes? It was the giant statue in Rhodes, which is actually I'm going to talk about next. Oh, right. So we'll we'll get on to him in a second. Oh, right. And the other one you missed was the Temple of Artemis. Is that Ephesus? Ephesus. So there you go. Look at that. You don't get a bonus point. Oh, but I did all right. I, I was thinking about going for further bonus points, like in terms of where are they located and uh, what year were they built. But that's... We'd oh, be, God, I wouldn't know we'd that. We'd be here all day if we did that. Yeah. As comedy as it would be for me to watch your struggle. I know that the lighthouse was destroyed <clears throat> by an earthquake. It was. I think that's where my knowledge of them ends. Is that the last one before the pyramids? Or is one de- was one destroyed? Because I know that the pyramids are the last one. Yes, I think... It, like, in terms of when it was constructed. Oh, I meant in terms of, like, it's the most recently destroyed one. Ah, I think it might be, actually. I'll just check the dates of destruction I've got down here. Ah, no, the mausoleum of Halicarnassus. Sometime between the 12th and 15th century. Oh, right. Oh, wow, that lasted that long. Yeah, and... Lighthouse sometime between 1303 and 1480. These are very vague dates. I yeah, do apologise to the listeners there. It's sometime <laughs> in this 300-year span. 
uh, yeah, the pyramids were the first ones to be built and they're also the last ones still standing. And then all of the others have sort of come and gone. Yes, that's right. So pyramids, first to be built and still standing. The last one still standing. So they've outlived them all. They have. Well done to the pyramids of Giza. Mm. Have you ever seen the pyramids? I know you're quite well travelled. Uh, I've never been to Egypt. It's something I fancy going. Apparently there's like a KFC next to... That's the only reason you should go. <laughs> <laughs> I like to try the KFCs of the world. Just to see if they're any different, you know. Have you been to Africa at all? Um, I've been to Mauritius, which is in the African Union. Uh, right, so they're okay. yeah. technically yeah, in Africa. I haven't but been to mainland. No, never yeah, been to mainland right, okay. Africa. But I think going through these seven wonders, they could have the whole episode each on one of these. Mm. But And that's not even my main fact today. Oh. That was the warm-up. So, oh, I lost the bonus point. Oh, I'm you, lost the, you lost the bonus right. point. Okay. I want to talk about massive statues today. Right. Which is why we brought up the Colossus of Rhodes. Okay. What was the Colossus of Rhodes? Now, the Colossus of Rhodes was just a statue of a warrior built in Rhodes Harbour. Oh, just a generic warrior. Yeah, yeah. So, bit of background of the fella. He was made uh, of cast bronze. So, he was a metal statue. He was about 33 metres high. That's insane. And it gets even better. These are just these are just the build-up facts as well, Paul. To a di- completely different story, I'm going to <laughs> so tell. So all of this is true. All of this is true. Mm. Yes, I couldn't do disservice to the wonders of the world. Mm. It was in the late 290s BC. Uh, Rhodes was invaded by the ruler of Cyprus, who wanted to take over the island, right? Take control of it. But they were so badly defeated, they left most of their bronze weapons behind on Rhodes. All right. So in celebration, the people of Rhodes decided to build a commemorative statue. Look, look at how amazing the people of Rhodes are. And they used a lot of those bronze weapons when they oh, were forging right. this 30 meter tall, 33 meters tall statue. That's 108 feet for American listeners as well. Wow. So some a lot of people have a misconception that the statue stood kind of astride the harbour. Right. So people have this image of the statue standing over the harbour and the ships going between his legs. Oh, wow. Legs akimbo. Legs akimbo. He's like, woo, check me out. Okay. Uh, but that was apparently like a medieval misconception. They wrote down because they thought it was kind of a cool idea just to mm. have him straddle in the harbour. But apparently to do <clears> that, Rhodes would have had to have completely drained the harbour for months while they constructed this statue. Right. Um, and they they were completely reliant on sea trade being an island. So most modern historians say there was no way he ever straddled the harbour. <clears throat> it's a lot more likely he was standing just by himself next to the harbour. Right. Kind of, Looking out to sea. That's that, that's frustrating. That would have been amazing to see him sort of straddling the waterways. Imagine, yeah. like, imagine if it was so, so far apart, you were sort of slightly squatting. <laughs> he's like, like oh, he's in a little bit of pain. He's like, oh, oh, could you bring the harbour a bit closer together? Like they start building the statue and then sort of realise they've miscalculated. So they have to sort of put him into a kind of air squat position <laughs> for the harbour. <laughs> we haven't got enough bronze, so we'll have him sort of slightly kneeling. God, imagine the the designer to make that mistake. Uh, yeah, true. And of course, this is, an, again, another build-up fact. Not to be outdone, the Romans, of course, they had to build their own colossus. Mm. Take a wild guess which emperor decided to build this monument to vanity to it's, himself. That's going to be one of two. Is either Nero? Boom. Oh, yeah, Nero. Got I was it. Nero or Caligula, but I don't think Caligula was in charge long enough. Yeah, got it in one. Nero. All that survives from Nero's statue is the base. It was moved about quite a bit, Nero's statue. Um, but he was also 30 metres tall. The Nero statue had him with a rudder stuck Ooh. into the world to show his supreme command oh. of land and sea. That's quite inventive. It was. Was it a statue of Nero? Yes, statue of Nero. (laughs) 
So megalomaniac. <laughs> yeah. He, Actually, was, he was the sort of Kanye West of his day. <laughs> he was. <laughs> look at me making popular culture jokes. <laughs> oh, look at you. <laughs> I'm down with the kids. Actually, now you mentioned it, I don't know if the Colossus of Rhodes was actually based on a real person or not. And I can't, I'd have to go back and check. But I think it was just a generic symbol just of a, a the strength warrior. of Rhodes. Mm. But again, we're finally getting in to my actual... Okay, so all of that was all true. All of that is true. There was right. a massive statue of Nero, Colossus of Rhodes. All those right. facts about it are true. We've gone through the wonders. You didn't get your bonus point. But let's head. Let's head east to ancient China. Right. And back to the Tang Dynasty. Who oh, are getting their, who are getting their second shout out right, in okay. two weeks on Yes or Yes. <laughs> right. Not that I bought a book about the Tang Dynasty or anything <laughs> and have just started a pepper facts. Uh, right. In okay. here. But there was a much larger statue of Buddha built in a place called Le Shan in right. China. Now, we've learned the Colossus was 33 meters high. How big do you think this statue is going to be? 33 meters. Um, and you said it's much bigger. Yes. I'm going 50 meters. Poor, poor. You're just, you're not even close. When was it built? It was built between 713 and 803 AD. So it's, it's still really, really early. It is. It, it was carved into the side of a mountain. This Oh, right. Well. Okay. So, so we're talking mountain size. Yes. But, uh, right. Okay. Well, then slightly more than 50 meters. Mm. Oh God! Um, Two hundred meters. <laughs> that's, that's you've you've way overshot that one. <laughs> now I'm thinking, how big's the mountain? <laughs> he is seventy-one meters high. Wow. Okay. He, this is a massive fella. He was built at the confluence of the Min and Dadu rivers. So there was a monk who lived in the area, Buddhist monk, obviously, and he wanted a way to calm the rough currents of the Min and Dadu rivers right. because it was quite dangerous for ships coming up there. Okay. So he thought if I build a giant statue to Buddha, that'll offer some sort of that'll help protection. Yeah. Interesting side fact, after it was constructed, it kind of did help to calm the currents mm-hmm. because they'd carved so much rock directly out the mountain and dumped it straight into the river. It changed the strength of the currents in the river itself. Oh, right. Okay. I don't know how apocryphal that bit is, Mm. whether that's like, that was a real thing or if it was just the hype at the time. Right. But some facts about the Leishan Buddha. Right. So we know he's 71 meters or 233 feet. He also has 1,021 buns in his hair. (laughs) Like little man buns. Right. <laughs> right. Now, could you, these have a dual purpose. Not only are they cool to look at. Yeah. Who doesn't love man buns? Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we're not here to debate man buns. Yeah. But those man buns all have holes in them and pipes that lead through Buddha and into the river. So when it rains, a lot of the rainwater doesn't erode the statue. It falls into those man buns through the pipes and into the river. What? So that it's got its own drainage system. It's got its own drainage system to protect against erosion. Through the entire statue. How did they do that? Uh, if he carved it into a mountain, uh, how are you going to carve a channel directly through s- downwards? Listen to you and your relevant questions mm. that I don't have answers to. That's insane. And why 1,021? Is that I, like a, a number that meant something? Or was that just as many as they could fit? I don't think so. That's all they could fit. Yeah, a lot of hair. Again, I don't know how they got the pipes through. He's worked from Cretaceous red bed sandstones. I don't know how easy that is to work, to drill through. Right, okay. So I don't know the exact answer to that or the specifics of where the pipes Good end grief. up. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's like they don't sort of come out his belly button or something? <laughs> no, they're not just like... <laughs> what? Right, with his tear ducts. <laughs> 
throw out his mouth. Like, Let, let's let stop all the various uh, yeah. holes these okay, pipes yeah, could come true, flying out true. of, Paul. Uh, some extra just facts to finish off on, on the Le Shan Buddha. His shoulders are 28 meters across as well. Wow. So now I've recently been going to the gym, so I kind of, I can relate <laughs> this a little yeah I, you, so. you look like you're permanently wearing a zoot suit <laughs> <laughs> can't get through a door straight so on if, if i stood next to this buddha you'd be wondering which one is the statue <laughs> and which one is the tiny person <laughs> after my gym gains hashtag gains everybody yeah and one of his feet is eight and a half meters long from heel to toe so what sort of stance is he in he's sitting down uh hands on lap Hands. Oh, so he's sort of seated. I I had it in my head that he'd be sort of like in a Buddha sort of crouch, like a, no, like he's, a, like um. It's like he's seated on a chair with his oh, hands right. hands over his knees. His fingers kind of go over his knees as well. Right. So it's not like because Buddhas are quite often sort of sat like hunkered down, like on like sort of with crossed legs. Mm. Is that right? That's like the lotus position for meditation. Oh, yes, that's yes. That would be a better way of <laughs> describing it rather <laughs> than he was hunk- just slightly crouched down, hunk- hunkered down. Yeah. Okay, but so he's sort of almost as if he sat on a chair. Yes, I think he is sat on a chair. Oh, right, okay. Just chill, looking out the river, enjoying himself. Okay. So the question is, Paul, does that statue exist? (sighs) Okay. Um, Or have I made it up completely? This is difficult. The logistics of this seem extraordinary. Mm -hmm. It's the thing about getting the water. It's it's these channels through the entire mountain, which is sort of... I don't know. It's just not sitting very comfortably. No, I'll be honest. I didn't read up too much on the drainage system. Just that the buns in his hair. Some I don't know if they go through the entire body or if they pump so, it out the back or if it's right. just a short pipe through the head. Okay, poor it's, Buddha right. with a pipe through his head though. Yeah. So, I, I, but it's like either way, it sort of channels the water off the top of his head. Channels the water away to stop or to help prevent erosion. Okay. Right. And there are statues. Well, there are sort of sculptures that are carved in the mountains. The famous ones are Mount Rushmore, but there's a really famous one of like a Native American. Then it's the like the entire mountain is becoming ah. someone, someone standing up. I think I don't know anything. I th- about and I'm that sure one. that's still getting built at the minute, and it's mm. quite controversial in the states. I can't remember where that is. So yeah, there's a precedent for kind of carving mountain faces into things. Mm. Would they have done this that long ago in China? <sighs> yeah, I I can't think why they wouldn't have done. Oh, this is difficult. I just kind of feel like if it was that impressive... Is it still standing? Yeah. Big tourist attraction today. I kind of feel like I would have heard of it. But that no, that's a ludicrous thing to say. <laughs> like, I haven't heard of everything in the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I kind of want this to be true, mm-hmm. but I think you might have made it up. Mm. I don't know, though, because the whole guessing game about how tall it was... No, I think you've made this up. I'm going to say that this is BS. Final answer? Oh, I think I might have got that wrong, but I, I no, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say it's BS. The Leishan Buddha exists really? and is completely true. What? It looks amazing. Like, Good grief. When you see pictures of it, it's it really is enormous. Wow. He looks very relaxed. So that uh, book on the Tang Dynasty is really paying off, <laughs> paying off for wow. me. Wow. Oh, wow. I kind of want to go and see it now. Yeah, they did a lot of the Tang Dynasty. So you found was... out paper money last week. Yeah. Um, giant Buddhas this week. So it was carved into the hillside this, to calm the river. Yes, because this this mountain is right on the river. So wow, when it's, it's it's literally no space between the river and the mountain. So he's so just sort of really overlooking it. Just overlooks the river. That's incredible. And apparently, it did calm the currents. 
But again, wow. that could be the apocryphal part of the story. Good grief. That's the only bit I wasn't 100% on. Mm. And I'm going to research the pipes in his head just to, um, just to see how they work. Why does he have so would. many buns in his hair? Well, a lot of the old Buddha statues have those little tiny buns. I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort of picture what Buddha's head looks like, <laughs> like what hairstyle he has. In all it's, his... it's difficult with an audio medium. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, can't, I can't really picture it at all. I just remember being very happy. Mm. <laughs> he's chill. Yeah, he's, he's loving life. He's always smiling. He's relaxing. Wow, that's that's remarkable. I've never heard of that. That's extraordinary. So that is on my list to visit. Yeah, I'll Burnett. go with this. We can add this to the list of places we'll do a live episode from. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, we've got so many, like a good mix of places there. <laughs> yeah, we'll live stream from the top of the Buddha statue. <laughs> one on each shoulder, maybe. <laughs> I'll probably fall down one of the pipes. <laughs> Right then, so first blood to you, Tones. Oh, I'm good. I, I threw away two points there. But on the plus side, you've got a, a wonderful new place to visit. Yeah, true. Yeah, I'd rather have the points, though, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest and say that I'm not giving away any bonus points yet again. This is just oh, something you... you keep doing to me. You see, this just shows the true colours of the people behind this podcast. <laughs> and you still won't give me the Twitter password. No, go, I wouldn't dare. <laughs> Uh, so my next fact now last week on this mm-hmm. uh, you'll remember that we had a fact about the treaty that prevents people from putting weapons on the moon and staking sort of a sovereign claim to the moon yes. so anyway I really like this fact and when I was researching it I found another story that I wanted to work in later on and it just happens I thought I'd work it in today okay so I'm going to talk to you about a guy called Gustav Brell who is a German performance artist that treaty can you remember when it was signed it's like more a memory test than a knowledge test. Can I get a bonus point if I get it right? Yeah, yeah, go Ooh. on then. 19. Yeah. 54. <laughs> 67. Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was signed in 1967. Um, it was drawn up in 66 and then signed in 1967. But this was in uh, August 1997, so 30 years after that. Yeah, this guy Gustav Brell was a, an artist, quite a, quite a famous artist locally in Dusseldorf in Germany. And he's also an amateur astronomer. And a lot of his artwork kind of incorporates sort of odd views of the planets. Like he'll do a portrait of Jupiter, but it'll be in like sweet wrappers and stuff. Oh, that's kind of cool. So it's quite interesting, his work anyway. But he is, in his personal life, really interested in astronomy and uh, things anyway. So in 1997, he was admiring the moon through his telescope. Yeah, And he decided, you know, the moon's kind of just, it's open to anyone, presumably. Like it's just a free-for-all. So he decides that... The circle of the moon's surface that he can see at this one moment, mm-hmm. he's just, I'm going to have that. Okay. Okay. So it just so happens he was looking at, at around about, it's somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 square kilometers of the surface of the moon, which in total is about sort of three and a half million square kilometers. So it's quite now, a small area. There's a quick question. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to sound like a right idiot here. Mm-hmm. The moon itself is round. <laughs> is that your it's question? It's made of cheese. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't spin. Am I right? So the moon does spin, but we're spinning as well. So it doesn't look like it's spinning to us. Gotcha. So that makes a lot more sense than what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does the moon spin? Of course it spins. But Earth also spins. So it looks like. And it's spinning around us. Yes. And we're spinning around the sun. Which is why... Everything's spinning. Which is why it appears the moon always looks the same to us, because everything's spinning. You spin me right round, baby, (laughs) right round. Anyway. (laughs) You were saying... 
Um, so he was just on this one night in August 1997, happened to be looking at one part of it. So this one sort of circle that he identified, presumably using like the size of the, tel- I don't quite know how it works, but presumably the size of the telescope dictates h- how far you can see of the surface. I'm not quite sure how it works. Wow, that's the size. We're, str- we're straying into science a, a again. A big telescope lets you see more. <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that basically yeah, the Basically fact? what I'm saying is, yeah. <laughs> wow. yeah. If he had a big telescope. You sounded really intelligent when you said that. Like, well, I suppose the size of the, of the scope really is when you get the diameter. So yeah. big, big telescope yeah. means more detail. Yeah, and it wasn't a particularly big telescope because you could only see around about between 1,200 and 1,500 square kilometres in total in mm. this sort of circle of the surface that you could see. But he just decided that he was going to have it. Um, so he starts kind of making a plan of how he's going to sort of stake a claim. It's a fairly non-serious uh, claim that he's staking on the surface of the moon. Mm. And he decides that he's going to call it Mondia from Mond, which is the German word for moon. So it's basically like moon land, basically. Which, confusingly, isn't Mond the French for world? Oh, it is, yeah. But Mond doesn't think... have an E on it in German. Oh, well, there you go. That, yeah. that'll they're, sort they're, of... <laughs> you know, because they're different words. <laughs> In different languages. Well, why, well, that's how it works. And of course, I've just realised him. He was German. He was German. So yeah. why, why would he? <laughs> right. I'm just going to stop. I, yeah. I'm going to edit everything I've said. <laughs> Even the does, first fact. Does the moon spin? <laughs> Isn't French not a French word? Right. Yeah. I'm just an idiot. Continue. You're bringing your A game this week. <laughs> I'm still winning somehow. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, he decides that this circle of the moon's surface that he just happened to have seen this one night, he is now going to stake his claim to it. So he writes down the coordinates. It turns out that it's, it, the, yeah, this region just to the east of it, there's an impact crater called Langrenus. Or Langrenus, mm. I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced. But uh, that's on the sort of far eastern side of the moon as you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just happened to be looking at that. So it's this circle of the moon he decides... Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm going to have this. This is going to be mine because no one owns any territory on the moon. Mm. So, he calls it Mondia and he writes a letter to the UN in his sort of performance artist kind of way saying, "This is this on the moon. These are the coordinates that I looked at. It's this region. I'm having it. My name is this. If you don't reply, I'm going to take this as legally binding." Now, I'm sure there's like a legal thing. You're not allowed to do that legally, but... The whole thing's pretty... I was going to say, why am I saying so many yeah, stupid I, things? Are you, do you think he's going to go up there and live there? This is wow. a performance artist. Right, sorry, I'm... Yeah. Right, don't say anything else. <laughs> So he writes this letter and posts it. So this is in August 1997. In, in the year in between... Uh, he still sort of starts building this into his work. So he, he finds the circle again and he starts painting it and he's made a model of it. He comes up with a flag, which was basically just a very stylized portrait of himself against a blue background. It's not a particularly great flag. Uh, but not very egotistical in any yeah. way either. Um, and he decides on having a national anthem. You know what national anthem he picked? Oh, God, Spice Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as ridiculous. He picked It Must Have Been Love by Roxette. That's not bad, actually. It's a great I, song. I, yeah. I, I would follow this man. Yeah, it's probably better than God Save the Queen, which is a bit of a dirge <laughs> sometimes. Uh, yeah, so he picks that just because he likes the song. And so he builds up this whole sort of cult of Mondier and he writes a, um, he writes a constitution mm-hmm. full of all these rules that he wants to uh, that he wants to follow. By the end of August 1998, there's been no reply from the UN. So, understandably. Yeah, understandably. I, I'd imagine they get quite a lot of... Who did he address? Did he just take to the UN? Uh, they said, I don't New know. York. Yeah, I don't know. So 
he decides, I now legally own this piece of land on the moon. It gets a lot of press in and around Germany. Mm-hmm. Lots of people sign up to become new members of his new country on the moon. It's all kind of like, you know, when people said that they were Jedi in the ah, census yeah. and stuff. It was all that sort of thing. And so this kind of became like a little bit of a cult. And then it was brought up that actually this treaty was now <laughs> 31 years old and that it's internationally illegal for anyone to own any of the world. Yeah. So the whole kind of plan sort of falls flat. So as a response, what he does is he gets his telescope in the garden, flips it around, and the uh, 58 square inches of his own garden that you can see, he decides that this is now going to be his new country. Uh, he calls it Erdea, because Erde is the German for Earth. And the local council totally get on board with this and go, yeah, your plan's gone through on the, hasn't gone through on the moon. But um, we'll get in on this joke because it got lots of press coverage for the Mm. city and all sorts of things. So he does the same thing. He writes a letter to the local council saying, if you don't object, I'm going to declare this eight-inch circumference circle in my garden. Better to aim low and hit than aim high and miss. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm going to declare this independent. I'm going to be its ruler. I'm going to call it Erdia. The flag is the same. The national anthem's the same. If you don't reply... I'm taking it as legally binding. He sends the letter off. Mm. The council get the letter, but deliberately don't reply to it, basically. So in August 1999, same thing goes again, but it actually kind of technically, you know, quote unquote, goes through. And now Mm. this is sort of listed on like one of these, you know, when it's like smallest countries in the world. Mm. And then you get all these little asterisks at the bottom saying Mm. like, you know, the Sealand in the middle of the North Sea, which Mm. is that sort of big outhouse kind of thing. This is one of those. Um, yeah, and it was the work of a performance artist called Gustav Brell. So is he still technically independent on that 58 square inch patch? Yes, and again, it's still kind of quite a cult. So if you Google this, you'll see people like in his garden sort of standing in, on one leg, seeing that they've <laughs> visited Erdia and stuff. Now, again, you're appealing to the schmaltzy nature of this. <laughs> because I, you know, I love stories like this. Yeah. And my eccentrics. In- eccentrics. And yeah. my immediate gut reaction to say, oh, this is completely true. I, <laughs> this is wonderful. How amazing it is that he has this. It sounds like it's obviously a thing that an eccentric person would do. Because I know at mm. some point, wasn't someone selling bits of the, like, like acres of the moon? I'm sure oh, like somebody yeah. claimed ownership of the moon and then sold it in patches. Yeah. Is it not possible that you can sort of buy like an acre of the moon or something as a sort of joke present for someone? It is. I'm not sure how legally binding that is, though. I don't, well, I think my brother's got owns a piece of the moon, so I don't know if yeah, he's, but he's a mad scientist. Though. <laughs> he will be working on. He, putting he could be on up the there right now building something. Yeah, probably. It? So this is definitely within the realms of this is something eccentric people do. Mm-hmm. What sort of performance artist was he? Just like he said, he, he drew pictures of astronomy. Yeah, space, he's a bit of an all rounder. He's kind of um, a, a sort of. A, well, I say he's a performance artist, but he's kind of like a kind of Grayson Perry kind of character mm. in that um, he's done. A quite serious portrait work, but he also does quite jokey kind of recycled material sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's done sort of musical performances and things, but kind of building his own instruments and then knocking them okay. all together and all sorts of things. Right, so you spoke with a bit of confidence there. I think so. He, I think he is. He do, he exists. Right, this person exists. Mm-hmm. I want to say this is BS, just because you've got me on so many <laughs> schmaltzy stories in the past. I don't want to get bitten again. <laughs> But I'm going to... No, I'm going to say this is true, actually. This has enough of a ring to say that this is true. And that's my final answer. Okay. Final answer, this is true? Yep. I made all of that up. (laughs) You son of a gun.
It doesn't even exist. Like I, I made, no. I made every bit of that up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Roxette released a really good song, but this. Why does this happen every time? <laughs> have you, have any of your schmaltzy stories been true that you've I, done? I, I don't know. Have I, any can't, of them? I, I can't remember. God. I can't remember. No, I made all of that up. I, no. I can tell you what I based this on. There's um, a town in Rutland called Whitwell. Um, and in 1980, the locals in the pub decided that no one really knew where Whitwell was. So they wrote a letter to Jacques Chirac and mm. said, if you don't reply to this letter, we're going to say that we're officially twinned with Paris. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was no reply. So Whitwell, this tiny little village, is is technically one of the twins of Paris. And I was going to use this story because I really like it, but I thought, no, I'd do a little twist that, on it. W- I, that would have been nice. That way. I probably would have said yes to that. I always <laughs> yeah. say yes to these schmaltzy ones. Yeah. So they won't be a next fact because I'm going to kill Paul <laughs> during the break. And that's the end of Yes or BS. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the memories, everyone. What if I trade in for the uh, Twitter logins? <laughs> <laughs> You'd never give me. The... I'm gonna start a hashtag. Hashtag give Tony the logins and let me loose. Let me never, t- never ever be tweeted. <laughs> okay, well done, Paul. Uh, once that's again... the most grudging thing you've ever said. <laughs> yeah, well done. There was no joy, no joy in there at all. Or the only comfort I can take is that I got you on pigs driving cars many, many moons ago. <sighs> still, still a sore point. But I'm going to try and get you again, okay. sort of at your own game ish, okay. because I'm going to reference a very old Haggard Hawks tweet that I think was resurfaced recently. Oh no. So, it's about flowers. People keep doing this, you know. They email me about tweets that went up like a week ago, and I, I, I honestly can't remember them. It's because you, your head's so full of interesting words. No, it's not. It's like I can, I, I just don't remember things. Well, now that we, we've established Paul's a moron. Yeah, pretty but, much. Uh, this tweet was basically flowers. Yeah, it was. It was a flower found in East African rainforests. I genuinely can't remember. Really? This. No. Really. I should have just done this as a fact. But basically, the flowers... See, this is setting the precedent because you're going to test me about something that I've posted on (laughs) Twitter. I'm just going to dredge up. I can't remember remember this at all. Basically, these flowers, they look like dancing girls. Oh, I do remember this. Yeah. And then someone replied and they had a a picture of Snapdragon seed pods that looked like skulls. Yes. So I thought I'm going to find the most obscure flower fact I can. All right. Okay. Then I thought, no, no. Even better than that, how about a flower war? <laughs> right. Now, bear okay. with me. I'm right. going somewhere with this. Right. Now, I know what you're thinking. A flower war. Have the tulips risen up to destroy us? Is Day of the Triffids coming true? Mm-hmm. The war of the flowers. I have no idea where you're going with this. Well, we are flying off to Mesoamerica and All the right. Aztec Empire. Right. Now, it's not a war over flowers. Um, It's called... The type of war the Aztecs used to fight was called a flower war. Mm -hmm. Now, I've got the the term in there. Now, bear with me on the pronunciations of some of these things because I'm from the northeast of England and the Nahuatl language of Mesoamerica... Well done. It doesn't fit naturally on my lexicon. Uh, Yeah, true. um, But basically, in the Nahuatl language, this war was known as a flower war. Okay. And we'll get to why in a second, because there's a few reasons. Right. But I want to say, what do you know about the Aztecs, Paul? The only thing, like, the only little bit of trivia that I know about 
Oh, now, hang on. This might be the Incas. I think it's the Aztecs, though, is that Oxford University is older than the Aztec Empire. Yes, you're right. I've re- always remembered that as a little fact. Don't ask me what the dates are. Don't you worry, because <laughs> I just so happen to have some dates. Right. The first kind of where people agree the Aztec Empire itself kind of came to being was 1428. Right. It wasn't so much a super state as we might imagine empire today. It was a kind of closer to the Holy Roman Empire. It was like an alliance of states. Lots of little ones. Lots of little ones. Right. They had three kind of central city-states with... Ooh. Ooh, ooh, are you going to name them? Well, we did at the Aztecs when I was about... Right, you're going to get a bonus point if you get all three. Oh, I'm not going to remember all three. Um, Okay, bonus point if you get two. Because there was... It was known as the Triple Alliance, the three most powerful cities. We did the Aztecs in, like, primary school when I was, like, about seven. And I was listening, and you obviously weren't. (laughs) We weren't in the same class. (laughs) I was Um, in a better class. Oh, I no, I can't remember. It ends in P E T L, I think. Ooh, I don't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so the no, tri- I can't remember. The triple them. alliance consisted of Tenochtitlan, which was. Oh, that's what the, I was thinking of. That's that's the main one. Was one of them Quetz? You're thinking of Quetzalcoatl, yeah, who was one of the gods I oh. think, of the, in the Aztec pantheon. Right. Okay. Uh, but the other two cities were Texcoco and Tlacopan. Tlacopan. Yes. It, it sounded like you were going to say Clackmannanshire, <laughs> which is in Scotland. <laughs> no, yes, that was the third Part city. Part of the Triple Alliance. <laughs> it, was a very, it was a very large empire, spanned the Atlantic. Tenochtitlan and Clackmannan. So that's when, like, 1428, those three cities decided to form the Triple Alliance. Oh, right. So they'd kind of been independent. They were kind of independent, but they would fight other city-states together. And they thought, well, it kind of makes sense if we pool resources and we kind of govern all of these smaller cities and villages. And in 1428, the alliance was signed and they became the Aztec Empire. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. So a bit of background on them. Yeah. Uh, Also on the Aztecs, we're kind of going into warfare, which is why we mentioned the Flower War earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. But did you know every Aztec male had to be trained as a warrior from the age of 15? Oh, wow. Warfare was a big part of Aztec society because wars weren't just fought for territory. You would have to fight wars for captives so they could be sacrificed because sacrifice was a big part of Oh, yeah, Aztec right. Culture. Okay. And there were a lot of reasons for sacrifices. It was mostly appeasing the various gods mm. uh, for a good harvest. And this is how the flower wars were born. Right. Okay. It started off kind of a Texaco Cohen nobleman. So again, apologies for my pronunciation on... Are you trying to say Texaco, like the old company? <laughs> no. The city, Texcoco. Texcoco. A person who's from Texcoco is called a Texaco Cohen. Okay. So a Texaco Cohen nobleman, uh, he described the, how these flower wars started. Right. From 1450 to 1454, there were a series of very bad harvests and droughts. Right. So the priests of the Aztec Empire at the time said, the problem is you're not sacrificing enough people. That's always a problem. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it happens today, Mm. honestly. And that's why we've got mass famine. That's why the crops keep failing. Right. So <laughs> it's not because there's a shortage of workers because they've killed so many people. <laughs> We've killed all the farm workers. <laughs> and for some reason, the crops are failing. But of course, the Aztecs didn't want to kill their own people. Mm-hmm. So they thought, let's have a war with our neighbors again, which is quite a common thing for us to do. Right. And this was the Flower War. Right. I'm intrigued as to why it's called the Flower War. Ah, now we get to the point. It was called a Flower War because it translated as a flowery death a blissful death or a fortunate death because to die in the flower war was seen as more noble 
than to die in a regular war. Oh, right. And their terminology for, like, a beautiful death, if you will, was flowery death. Oh, right, so, oh, okay. How did how did Bob die? Oh, he had, a, he had a very flowery death. Right. It was very noble. He sacrificed himself in the flower wars. Right, okay. So that's where it comes from. Now, it had a, a certain set of rules. A lot of the Aztecs' neighbours were a lot smaller than them, so they obviously didn't want to have outright open warfare because they would probably lose. Mm -hmm. So the Aztecs said, tell you what, we'll set some rules. Only a certain number of men can join. So mm -hmm. we're on equal footing as it is. Whoever gets, whoever wins, gets to keep the captives and gets to go and sacrifice them. Right. So we're not going to come and steamroll your cities. We're not going to invade. And also the Aztecs changed their tactics in these battles to make things more fair for everybody. Right. They were very ceremonial because... Obviously, it wasn't a war for territory, it was a war for captives. So they would burn incense at the start of the battle, kind of give it a very spiritual feel to it. Okay. And the Aztecs promised they wouldn't use any missile weapons. So they wouldn't hurl any slingers with rocks. They wouldn't fire any darts. They would only, it would be straight into hand-to-hand. -hand. Right. Best warrior wins, losers get captured. Right. And okay. potentially sacrificed. And the idea was, this was a, the most moral way to get captives at the time. Oh, thought. right. Okay. But there's some historians think there were other reasons for the Flower Wars as well. It mm -hmm. wasn't just for captives. They thought it was it was a way for the Aztecs to kind of project power in the region to say, look, we're still here and we could literally beat you at any time we wanted to, but we decided right. not to. Here's our warriors. Look at them. They're a lot better than you. They can beat you without missile weapons as well. You're so... You're so tiny and pathetic, you tiny other city-states. Right, so it was kind of like showmanship, kind of. Yeah, it was a kind of as a prestige thing, yeah. showmanship. And some people think it was literally just training for Aztec soldiers. It was like a, a rite of passage for some of them to do these flower wars. Right. But when um, Hernan Cortez turned up, mm. that's when the neighbours of the Aztecs thought, great, we can finally put an end to these flower wars. Which right. is one of the reasons why so many of the smaller states allied with Hernan Cortes. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, one of the biggest ones, Tlaxcala. Again, apologies for pronunciation. Mm. They saw the Spanish as their chance to write. How dare they make us fight flower wars every two years or every right. year. Okay. So they, I didn't know that these sort of alliances were set up with the Spanish. Yeah, I think one of the re that's one of the main reasons Cortes was able to topple an empire that had tens yeah. of thousands of soldiers. Because he only turned up with about uh, 600 men. Yeah. Between three and 600, I think. There could, again, there could be a whole other episode on just Cortes himself. Is, he yeah, was one of the, the most brutal and but lucky people who's mm. ever lived by the sounds of it. But yeah, he got a lot of allies who really hated the Aztecs. Of course, that obviously backfired for them in mm. the long run. Mm. But for now, folks on the Flower Wars. Right. So is the fact, did the Flower Wars exist? Yes. Did the Flower Wars exist? So was the ceremonial warfare conducted by the Aztecs for... Okay sacrifices there's a lot of new information here that i didn't know i didn't know mm. that the empire was kind of a collection of states that had already kind of existed mm. that just kind of coalesced mm. i didn't know that and i didn't know that the sort of outliers around the empire kind of turned against them mm. in that sense all of that i think is true mm -hmm. the flower wars mm. I, yeah, it kind of makes sense that they would have this idea of the of it being a kind of more a more valiant death would be mm. to die in service to the better good. Mm. This thing about them leaving projectiles and it just all being hand to hand that does seem very noble. Mm -hmm. Linguistically, I'm trying to think 
flower and sort of what was that connection that it was sort of one word was translated as flowery flowery death and and blissful death. blissful so there but then again i don't know how much you know about the language Nahuatl. i know Nahuatl that language. um avocado means testicle in Nahuatl. <laughs> i know that um, it's, it's a valuable, <laughs> valuable contribution to the yeah. fact. I know chocolate is a Nahuatl word as well. Ah. That's where my knowledge ends. <clears throat> hmm. Okay. This is difficult. And you spoke very knowledgeably about this, mm-hmm. which makes me think. I oh, see. I was going to say that makes me think that it's true. But it could also be that you really, really enjoy this subject anyway, because you're a bit of a history buff. Mm. And you've read up loads on it and you're really interested in it and you've concocted something. <laughs> so An mm, honourable field of death. Uh, flower Wars. There is something that rings very true about this, but it's just not sitting very comfortable with me. I think you might have made this up. I think all the sort of satellite facts are true, mm-hmm. but the Flower Wars, I think you've made up. I'm going to say it's BS. Final answer? <sighs> oh, yeah, final answer. The Flower Wars did exist. Oh, no. They were a thing. Wow. Yeah. It started after a famine where the priest said, you'll need a lot of sacrifices to fix this famine. Good grief. Yeah. So while no saints themselves, the Aztecs, mm. they did come up with this, what they perceived as this is an honourable an honorable way to die. Wow. In the Flower Wars. That's interesting. I've never heard of that before. No, it was it was brand new to me actually as well. I knew some of the background facts about the Triple Alliance mm. and Cortez and that sort of stuff, but the actual Flower Wars themselves, they were like that was new information for me. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's one part of history that I I remember studying it when I was really really young at school, and then never learned anything else on. Mm. So it's it's real pa- kind of patchy knowledge, but it's fascinating. Mm. Well, watch this space for more Aztec facts oh, in the future. God. He's, he's going to get me with every one. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we've got them all wrong. So we have. Yeah, we're going great guns. <laughs> so because this is the sort of last in the season, I thought mm-hmm. uh, that I'd go back to some subjects that keep cropping up every now and then. And one thing that keeps coming up is the Victorian eccentric. Ooh, this has become, we should get a whole episode on these Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm basically going to tell you about a Victorian eccentric. So there isn't a sort Excellent. of key fact. It's just whether or not this bloke existed. Already I'm on the absolute defence. <laughs> okay, yeah. so this is a guy called Sir Tatton Sykes. This is BS. <laughs> I've called it right, but move on to the next one. Okay. This is right, no, go on. Um, he was the fifth baronet of Sledmere in a place called Sledmere in East Yorkshire. He was born in 1826. His father was called... I have no idea. <laughs> Sir Tatton Sykes, okay. uh, who was also a baronet of Sledmere. He was the fourth baronet. And he owned a very famous race course. Do you know what that was called? Was it the baronet of what's his braggots? The horse was called Sir Tatton Sykes. <laughs> <laughs> and it won the St. Ledger in 1846. So it was a very famous race horse. Um, the whole family was very horsey, but that's kind of the most sensible part of his whole life. Everything else is utter nonsense. Mm. Okay, so... Out of the many, many things that I could tell you about um, Sir Tatton Sykes, fifth baronet, was that he hated flowers. <laughs> so he wouldn't have liked that last fact of yours. 
Um, yeah, he called them nasty, untidy things. And oh. if he spotted one while he was out for a walk, um, he would crush it with his walking stick. He'll have a long walk if he's out in the woods or something. <laughs> I don't think he would exactly crush every single one he came across. Um, but yeah, he hated them. The tenants on his land, if they were growing flowers in their gardens, he would ask for them to be removed. And apparently his sort of rule of thumb was um, that if you want to grow flowers, you should grow cauliflowers. I think... You've written that joke and built a fact around it. <laughs> <laughs> but do continue, Paul. Please, my, my jokes are funnier than that. Um, okay, so as well as that, uh, he was a hypochondriac. His father was very, very healthy. His father um, died in 1863, and he was reportedly healthy his entire life up until the very last year of his life. He died in, in his late 80s, his father. Mm-hmm. And it's thought that this kind of knocked his son, his confidence in his health slightly. So after his father died, he became a bit of a hypochondriac. And after that point, kind of lived on a diet exclusively of cold rice pudding. This this is a voice in my head screaming that this is nonsense. Um, yeah, and there's a story that um, when his house caught fire in 1911... His servants were trying to get him out of his house. He was by this point he was well in his eighties himself. And his servants were trying to usher him out of the house, and he only re- replied with the words, "I must eat my pudding." <laughs> that sounds like something you would shout if trying to get you out of a house. This is just my life story. <laughs> yeah, and he wouldn't leave the house uh, despite it being on fire until he'd finished his rice pudding. He was also <laughs> completely obsessed with his body temperature. The the reason Paul might be laughing is because I'm just I'm glaring at it. Yeah, he's I've just, got a, a cold stare. Right? I'm, I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to let you finish. I'm ratcheting I, up the madness. Before yeah. I rip into this. Uh, yeah, he was obsessed with his body temperature. So whenever he bought a new coat, he would have anywhere between six and eight of them produced in increasing sizes, <laughs> and he would wear them all concurrently, and then go on a walk. <laughs> and if he got too hot, he would remove the outermost of the coat. <laughs> <laughs> would drop it on the floor. So, <laughs> I still haven't finished. He would drop it on the floor and then one of the local villagers would pick his coat up <laughs> and would return it to uh, Sledmere House. With it just waiting in the bushes? <laughs> if they it like, would they one, like ball boys at the tennis? Uh, but yeah, coat boys? And uh, yeah, they would return them to the house for a small fee. Um, yeah, so he was obsessed with coats and body temperature. He was kind of like a gigantic living coat-covered Russian doll. Is it, are there any more facts about it? No, that's kind of where the madness ends. I've got some sort of serious background oh, facts. This is, um, this, is, this is the nonsense you put in to make this believable. Yeah, he married in uh, 1874 uh, when he was 48. His wife at the time was 18. Um, there was 30 years mm. between them. She was the daughter of uh, a man called George Cavendish Bentink, who was a, an MP in um, Benjamin Disraeli's government. I, you, she, was, you... she was called Christina. Sorry, I'm going to lay this in a bit. Yeah, and if you want a serious fact about him, yes, he was still sort of into his racehorses and things, but he also um, spent a large part of his fortune on hiring kind of the sort of A-lister architects of the day to renovate churches across Yorkshire. <clears throat> he spent the equivalent in modern terms of £15 million renovating just kind of very isolated sort of rural churches out in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere in Yorkshire, but hired very, very high-end Victorian architects to do the renovations. And there are 18 of these Tatton Sykes churches Mm. across Yorkshire now that have um, very famous architects attached to them. Yeah, and he financed all of that. He wanted them to be uh, places of Christian art and worship. 
So he sort of saw them as kind of artworks in their own life, these these mm. magnificent churches. And they're um, a big tourist trap now in Yorkshire. Uh, but yeah, that's it. He died in 1913 at the age of 87. Right. Uh, and that is my story Sir... of Sir Tatton Sykes, son of Sir Tatton Sykes, who owned a racehorse called Sir Tatton Sykes. This has to be utter bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard such a load of nonsense. Right. I think you've taken the MP's name, that Bentick fella, and Mm -hmm. you've just Googled Victorian MPs. Right. And you've slapped this bollocks onto the side of it. Uh It has to be. This can't be true. Right. Okay. It's really schmaltzy. But again... You could, There's no you're, you're, to that at all. He got he got people to tear flowers up, and his house nearly burnt down while he was eating rice pudding. The court thing was schmaltzy. Oh, right. Like, okay. We used to wear yeah. eight coats. Mm-hmm. This, ah, oh, this, this is the, uh, the like as Victorian eccentrics go. I don't think you'll find many more eccentric than this. You, you're playing four D chess with this. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going all out. This is like fooling you. God, I don't know where where I'm at anymore. I'm sweating. I'm glaring at you. I just like. It's a simple fact. Did that man exist? Mm, I think there was somebody who renovated churches and somebody must have married the MP's daughter. <laughs> like, that's all the only true thing. But then again, <laughs> why? Look, it's like you have like an existential crisis. I am. This is right. This can't, oh, this can't <laughs> be true. This is not like, why would, why was, why would he eat his pudding before the, the house burnt down. What's wrong with him? How, where did he get his money from initially? Like, how does his family? Uh, uh, no, that I don't know. Um, right, yeah, back it's to a, normal a, questions. It's a very long family tree. He was the fifth baronet of Sledmere. Um, I know that they spent a lot of money on their racehorses and made a lot of money on their racehorses. They owned a stables and these horses were selling for tens of thousands of pounds. Mm, this has to be bollocks. But then again, <laughs> is this the first time you've given me a true crazy fact? <laughs> It's like I've broken you. Yeah, like I'm genuinely. Yeah, yes. And, and listeners, Anthony is sat here with his hands on the side of his head, sort of massaging his temples. What? <laughs> you right? That's it. Nonsense. This is BS. I'm gonna have to say it. You've just made all of that up. There's okay. nothing true in there. Okay. You're gonna. I think you've come out on the last episode with nonsense. With the most. With the most ridiculous thing because okay. you got us on the la- end of the last season with some Victorian eccentric with his old museum. <laughs> See, I'm getting overexcited and panicked yeah, now. See, right. this is the thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm trying to revisit facts that have done you in in the past. BS. Final answer. Okay. That entire story. I swear to God, if this is true, I really will. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> this entire story is true. <laughs> 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 it's all God. true it's, I literally went out of my way to find the most eccentric eccentric that I could find and uh, Sir Tatton Sykes was, was the one that I found <laughs> from the name right from the name to the end that sounds nonsense it's like the more I read up on him the more insane stories I was finding it sounds like you're kind of modelling your own life after, <laughs> after Sir Tatton Sykes well I am wearing nine coats at the minute <laughs> Son of a gun. <laughs> yeah, I'm oh. sorry, Sir Tatton Sykes, son of Sir Tatton Sykes, who owned a racehorse called Sir Tatton Sykes. Um, that won the Sit Ledger in 1846. Um, so, like, it's all true. I'm going to put auditions out to replace you for the next season. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thrown out of my own game. <laughs> Looking for somebody who won't do Victorian eccentric facts. <laughs> right. On to my last fact then. 
Well, during that break, I have replaced Paul <laughs> with a Twitter bot that just <laughs> spits out facts every hour. And I'm just going to play against that. About famous flowers. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we're on two all now, I think. I know. We haven't got any of them None right. None of them are right. So let's see. I'm going to break the deadlock here. Yeah. Let's see if you can pull this back. Okay. We're going to do a bit of local history here, Paul. All oh, right. Okay. Now, as a lot of listeners might know, we live in Newcastle mm-hmm. in the north of England. But what a lot of people might not know is in the centre of town, we have a statue that is modelled on Nelson's Column. Oh, uh, yeah. The monument. Yeah. The monument. It's exactly the same design as Nelson's Column. Yeah. Um, it's about 20 metres shorter, so it's not as grand, but mm. it's, a, it's a nice little tourist thing to go look at if you're in Newcastle. But and um, this is a really basic test, Paul. Tell me who is on the top of that monument in it, Newcastle. It's Earl Grey, as in Earl Grey T. Yes, Earl Grey T. The Prime Minister. Yes. Do you know what his actual first name was? Oh, is it Robert? No. The, the pub next to the monument would help. It's called... Oh, it's called the Charles Grey. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Robert Gray? Oh, I thought he's a poet. I think he was a poet. Oh, right, okay. So, it's yeah, kind of... literally, the pub literally next door was called the Charles Gray. <laughs> what an idiot I am. I knew, see, this is how I knew, even on local history, you'd be shocking. <laughs> this is my only comeback here. Right, <sighs> so we've got a big statue modelled on Nelson's column. Do you know why they built the statue for the second Earl Grey? Oh, no, I don't. I'm going to presume he was maybe a local MP. I, f- I feel like I should know wow. this. Wow. Was he? He, he was the prime minister for oh, a time. I, yeah, I know he was the prime minister, but I don't know what connection he was to Newcastle. Yeah, oh, well, he's from Northumberland. Oh, was he? Yes. Oh, right. Okay. Which is why we built a statue of him here. Yeah, that's why I was wondering. Yeah, I know he was the prime minister, but I didn't <laughs> I didn't know what his connection was to Newcastle. I didn't know he was from up here, though. Well, I still feel like I, this is ridiculous. This monument is about <laughs> five miles from my house. Have you ever read the inscription on the monument? Of course I haven't. <laughs> Actually, that's not even I've my... been at the pub next to it plenty of times. <laughs> These aren't my main facts even. This is like basic local history. I, yeah, I should really know more about where I live. So you don't know why the monument was built to him? No. You didn't know he was from the region? <laughs> no. Why else would we build a statue of him? I don't... You know, oh, asking... that he was a nice prime minister. Let's yeah. build a statue of him. You're asking questions that I've never had to think about before. Well, get to your local libraries, everybody, and yeah, find out about yeah, your local history. Yeah. But an interesting fact before I get into more, uh, did you also know that in 1941, the statue on the top of Grey's Monument was struck by lightning and his head blew off? Oh, wow. No, I didn't know that. His head is a replacement head. Oh, no, I didn't know that. So yeah, you go. There's a bit of fun local Are you pitching for a job as like a local tourist (laughs) (laughs) tourist guide? If Newcastle City Council is listening, I could (laughs) give a damn good tour of the city. It'd last about four minutes. (laughs) It would be around the monument and then it'd be done. Excuse Straight me. in the pub. Excuse me. I'd do the castle keep as well. Ah, right, and okay. what's left of the city walls. Yeah. But I'm getting off point. Yeah. So you don't know why the statue was built. Can you maybe guess? Um, now, yes, there is a connection to the tea, I think, because if you go to the Charles Grey pub, there are things written on the wall about the tea trade mm. in the northeast. So I've read it at some point, but I genuinely can't remember what it says, because when I'm reading it, I'm usually half cut. Right. I was hoping to catch you out because the statue isn't because of the tea. Oh, is it not? Who would build a statue for tea? I, well, what sort of something to do with the tea trade? It was. 
Well, there's a few different reasons people think it might be called Earl Grey Tea. But the most common one is because in 1834, when he was Prime Minister, he cancelled the monopoly of tea trade with the East India Company held with China. Oh, right. Okay. So it opened up. Anyone could then go and buy tea from China. Right. Which caused hundreds of companies to be set up. Yeah dramatically uh, reduced the cost of tea. And one of the stories is he was given a gift of Earl Grey tea by a Chinese ambassador. Oh, right. Of course, it wasn't called Earl Grey tea at the time. Mm. It's actually tea flavoured with bergamot. Bergamot, yeah. Yeah. So orange rind flavour that gets put into it. I don't like it. Yeah, so the Chinese had been doing this for who knows how long. Mm. So he didn't invent Earl Grey tea. He just became very associated with it because of the tea trade. But um, they didn't build the monument because of the tea. That would be just ridiculous, Paul. No. That would show we have so little to do. I was going to say, there aren't (laughs) many sort of tea plantations around the northeast of England. Don't think we've quite got the climate. But the statue was built to him because he was the prime minister who... He kind of did two things. Um, First one, he brought in the... 1832 Reform Act, which expanded the electorate to people who owned property up to the value of £10. So you, right. you still wouldn't get in there yeah, under, under today's yeah. values. Yeah, that's what happens. So after this Reform Act came in, about one in seven men could vote. Oh, wow, that is a big change. It was, uh, it was big uproar at the time, of course, mm. because nobody likes to give up power. But also under his prime ministership, um, he also signed the Abolition of Slavery Act as prime minister as well. Oh, right. Okay. So, oh wow, this guy's amazing. Yeah, so there's a bit he's a bit more worthy than oh the tea was named after. The tea's after named him. after him. <laughs> Which is oh, let's build a forty meter monument to him. I don't think it, I wasn't thinking it was a monument because the tea's so nice. <laughs> I thought it was maybe he had something to do with something to do with it. No, he was a great um, Victorian reforming prime minister. But that's not actually my fact, Paul. Right. I was doing a massive tea build-up okay. to my actual fact. All of that's true. Okay. You see, I put so much effort into these facts. Right. You come, to... you come waltzing in <laughs> with nonsense and cold rice pudding, and cold rice pudding, and men wearing eight coats, <laughs> and I put like a lot of build up. Right. There's okay. even a link back to the first fact: a monument, Colossus of Rhodes, uh, Grey's yeah. Monument. It's all. Uh, but you put far too much effort into this. <laughs> I still lose. <laughs> but my final tea fact okay. is: Do you know who actually invented the tea bag? Oh, no, I don't. Well, we're going back to our friends in the Tang Dynasty. <laughs> you honestly don't know the work that goes I'm going to find out what book you've bought and I'm going to buy it myself. <laughs> well, they they think the original Chinese tea bags were just to kind of keep the tea fresh. So they were sewn in to okay. paper bags. They don't know if they, the bags were left in the tea to steep. Right. Just not enough known about them. But the modern tea bag was an accident. Oh. It came about, a tea and coffee importer in New York called Thomas Sullivan would often ship his tea in tiny little silk bags around the world. Right. So here's a sample of tea. Isn't my tea amazing? Please buy five tons of it. But people, once they put the bags in, they thought, well, this is really convenient. I just leave the bag in. Right. His intention was he was supposed to take the tea out of the silk bag. Right. And then brew the tea that way. Uh But people just left the silk bags to brew in the in the teapot okay and so they thought hey this is a fantastic idea and so the modern tea bag so when was, was this born. 1908 that's really late it is but there was some the first tea bag patents were as early as 1903 but i don't think those patents were intended to be left into the tea which is exactly why thomas sullivan was using it as like a i'm going to patent this little bag to store tea in okay right so that's my facts a lot of build-up 
and Earl Grey. Lot of, lot of, <laughs> yeah. Everything's connected. We've done, we've done your audition to become a Newcastle tour guide, <laughs> and we've ended up talking about the inventor of the tea bag. Right, okay. Mm. I said that it was really late, but no, that sounds about right, because people that kind of, even in the 50s and 60s, were still kind of not using tea bags. They were still mm. using, like, leaf tea and reading the tea leaves and all this mm. sort of stuff, and you would leave the bottom dregs in your cup because it would be mm. full of leaves and things. So, yeah, 1908 sounds about right. Silk? This guy was shipping tea and silk. Mm. Silk is quite a heavy fabric, though, isn't it? I don't know. I don't. It's actually... not like muslin or something yeah. that's quite sort of porous. Mm. Silk. I can imagine if there's tea inside silk and you would pour water on it, you wouldn't. There's not I that much permeation. It's, I suppose boiling water would be more effective. Still, I suppose though, so. Yeah. But... Hmm. Okay. This. That's an odd one. That's maybe sort of stumbling us a little bit. I'm trying to think as well because in French cookery they do that thing where they put herbs and peppercorns and things in a little bag. Hmm. Bouquet garni, is it? Of like um, herbs, and then they leave them in a, a soup, and it sort of infuses, mm. which is basically just a tea bag, but like. But there's no tea in it, though. It's like a, it's the same idea. <laughs> it's an it's... ingredient bag, completely different thing. Hmm. The more I think about this, the more I think. Did did I get overexcited on the initial facts about <laughs> great tea and local history, and then just cobble that at the end? <sighs> Invented by accident. Now, this invented by accident thing is true because I know that there are a lot of things that are invented by accident, hmm. like slinkies. Slinkies were invented accidentally. I think that was another Haggard Hawks tweet, wasn't it? I, I can't. Yeah, I think it might have been. Oh, God. <laughs> I should remember these things. Um, so, yes, things are invented by accident. Tea ba- the, the story does make sense. But I kind of like if people for hundreds and hundreds of years have been putting tea leaves into teapots and cups pouring boiling water on them letting them infuse and then drinking them or putting them through a little strainer if a little silk bag turned up surely you would go oh it's got tea in it and you would tip it out and put it in the strainer you wouldn't put the whole bag in not necessarily you don't know what people would do if they get hold of these things yeah true maybe he was just targeting idiots (laughs) in his ad campaign no i the more i think about this the more there is to doubt about it you're smiling and I don't know why you're smiling. I think, again, it's just... But you see, the thing is, none of these facts so far have sat very well with me. And mm. I've said that they're all BS and they've all ended up being true. And I'm about to say that this is BS. Third time lucky, I'm going to stick with my guns and say that that is BS. The teabag story is true. Oh! <laughs> Not again. I was originally going to have a fact about Earl Grey, but then I thought, oh, he's too interesting to lie about. That's, oh, that's how the tea bag was invented. Yeah. Who are these idiots? You get a little <laughs> silk pouch and rather than make tea like people, you've always made tea. Found it, what if you've never drank tea before? Convenient is one thing, but, but like it would turn up and you'd open it up and go, oh, it's got tea in it. It's like and when, you tip the tea out. It's like those coffee pod machines. I don't know how to use them. I might. You might be. Oh, but that's your ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've never seen something before, oh, right. That's annoying. That's a good story though. It's just annoying. And I feel I've educated you on some local history. Go and read the inscription. On, yeah, uh, true. On Gray's monument. Right. Okay. We we still haven't broken the deadlock. It was five wrong in a row. <laughs> Um, so, last fact mm-hmm. of season two. Again, I'm going to revisit one of our previous...
previous uh, golden moments <laughs> from this podcast, um, I've got a fact about Tolkien. Ooh. Um, okay, so, uh, well, it, it technically it's talked about uh, Tolkien and something else. It's about a film that was released in 1937. Do you know what it might be? Ooh, I couldn't guess, actually. Mm. Um, it was the earliest animated Disney feature film. Oh, Snow White. Snow White, oh, yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, it was released in uh, December. Can I get a bonus point for no. that? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was released in uh, December 1937. Yeah, it was the first um, kind of full-length Disney film, uh, well, animated film. It was also the first full-length film made with cell animation, like the individual mm. sort of see-through cells and they all layered up on top of themselves. Um, yeah, it was the first one of those. Everyone at the time thought it was going to be an absolute failure, but it was a huge success. Um, made $8 million, which in oh. uh, 1937 is massive. There's been a lot of sort of re-releases of it ever since. So it was like the Avengers of its day, really. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good comparison because although there's been subsequent sort of re-releases of it that have added to that box office gross, in modern terms, it's made around about a billion dollars. Wow. So it's a massively successful film, even though everyone thought it was going to be um, a huge failure. Uh, including Disney's wife. Walt Disney's wife thought it was going to be a failure because he'd, he'd remortgaged his house in order really? to finance it. But no, it was a, a huge success. He, he purchased 51 acres of land in Burbank in California off the back of this. Um, wow. And that became kind of the main sort of Disney studios. So it was, yeah, it was hugely successful. Um, he was given an honorary Oscar for it. Do you know what? Not a real Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, yes, you've done very well, so we're not going to nominate you for anything, but have an Oscar anyway. It was one mm. of those kinds of ones. Do you know why it was interesting, what he was given? Do you know what it was? Ah, this rings a bell. It's got, you will so have heard of this, I think. Something on the statue. Oh, close. Yeah, it was one full-size Oscar and seven tiny Oscars was ah, what he was given. That was it. Um, yeah, it was presented to them by, by Shirley Temple in 1938. Okay, um, all of this is completely true, and mm. so is this. This uh, list, uh, which is uh, words that I'm sure you've been called at some point. God. But they're also uh, rejected names for dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you ended up with a core seven, but then someone... Uh, sort of... Is what, handsome? <laughs> uh, funny? Yeah, someone, I think, got hold of your passport and wrote down the words <laughs> awful... <laughs> Weepy, <laughs> uh, dizzy, gloomy, uh, gabby, blabby and flabby, <laughs> uh, hoppy and also, uh, of course, um, a double-barreled one, biggy wiggy. <laughs> you see, I can't make that joke back to you. <laughs> yeah, for some reason they all got turned down. So, mm. yeah, you didn't get a credit in Snow White. I'm sorry. Oh, that's a shame. But, um, yeah, so that's my Snow White uh, facts. Charlie Chaplin was a big fan. And so was Hitler, oddly enough. Wow. Yeah, no. Gone, gone from one extreme to the other. Um, but, you know... Sure. <laughs> we've, we've broken the, the H-word deadlock on the podcast. But, yeah, Chaplin was a big fan. You know who wasn't a big fan? Ooh. Tolkien. Oh. Which was, brings was... us back to the stars. Oh, gotcha. Um, okay, so Tolkien went to see Snow White early in 1938. It premiered in New York in 1937, but it was really limited premiere and it didn't get a sort of international release until the uh, following February. So it was mm. quite a long wait. But yeah, he went to see it uh, sometime in November, spring 1938. And you know who went with him? 
if it's C.S. Lewis dressed as a polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't dressed as a polar bear, but it was C.S. Lewis. Those, those two jokers. <laughs> yeah, we're revisiting another one of our <laughs> former moments. If you don't know what we're talking about, um, go back and listen to whichever episode Ooh, it was. I can't remember which episode it was. Five like or six, maybe? Yeah, one of the early ones. We have yeah, a fact a about one. this. Yeah, go back to that one. So, yeah, picture in your mind, not only two of the most famous authors of all time, certainly two of the biggest authors of their day, also two Oxford Dons uh, sat in a cinema <laughs> watching Snow White and absolutely hating it. It was mm. very, very, very successful, but they despised it and spent a large amount of the remainder of their careers kind of commenting on how much oh. they hated not only Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, but also sort of the work of Disney. Tolkien wrote to, to C.S. Lewis later that he thought it was vulgar. Um, and C.S. Lewis, he went right off on one. Um, he wrote a letter saying that um, dwarves ought to be ugly, of course, but not in that way. What? Yeah. And he said that their faces were the second worst thing in the entire movie. You know what the worst <laughs> thing was? Oh, God, no. In the one of the opening scenes, a dove winks. <laughs> And he thought, oh, how, he thought this was how, absolutely awful. How disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and kind of over the years that followed, the pair of them just got sort of even more riled up about it. Tolkien thought that Disney had hopelessly corrupted children's they, fairy tales. They with sound all his work. like the kind of original online Twitter trolls. <laughs> so when, like, a, when a film comes out. <laughs> they're kind of like Statler and Waldorf sat in the sort of back of the cinema. Oh sort of... God, can you believe it has a wink and dummy? <laughs> um, yeah, C.S. Lewis said that Disney was a poor boob of a man mm. um, and it would have been a better film uh, had he been, quote, educated or brought up in a decent society. So wow. they are just like tearing this Calm thing to pieces. down and put those claws away. Yeah. When Tolkien saw the first illustrations for The Lord of the Rings, he complained that they made Gandalf look too Disney-fied. Mm. So this had kind of become like a real sort of, um, yeah, a, a real kind of insult between the two of them. The reason why it was uh, such a kind of insult between them is unsolved. But it's thought that they were both very interested in like the actual genuine dwarves of like Eastern European mythology. And Tolkien had just published The Hobbit before mm. Snow White came out. So The Hobbit came out in September 1937. And that's obviously a large cohort of dwarves mm. feature rather well in that story. And then along comes Disney with his sort of happy-go-lucky Doc and Sneezy <laughs> and Bashful and all them, which is slightly different dwarves, not, not particularly... Thorin and the others. Yeah, not particularly sort of authentic portrayals. So it's thought gotcha. that it was this that really riled them up. And that's why they're just sort of absolutely delighted in writing letters to each other and to their friends. <laughs> uh, tearing up <laughs> what, what a life those two led yeah just... tearing Snow White and the Seven Dwarves apart but yeah my fact is that uh, G.R.R. Tolkien went to see Snow White with his good friend C.S. Lewis right this doesn't enrage us as much as the last fact did yeah because oh you got us on that one mm -hmm. but again you might have you could have done exactly the same with am this am I revisiting your You've taken... famous failures from the past <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what we're going to just tagline Anthony's famous failures of the past. Well, that could just be in my CV, actually. Ah, this has a... I'm really... Have a, I'm leaning towards this being very true. Mm -hmm. Though, unless you've put a lot of work into those quotes and mm -hmm. comments... You don't like it when I invent quotes. I, I mean, uh, read quotes. Because <laughs> you could have done, like, the first half. Here's a Snow White fact. These are all completely true, mm -hmm. which were... 
Nice, interesting fact. And then, oh, I'm going to get him again on mm. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. We should have a we should have a Tolkien C.S. Lewis tally. You've yeah, got me Tolkien's... on the polar bear one. I've got you on the narcoleptic cat. Is this the third time Tolkien's been is, mentioned? This is the third, third, I think. Yeah. Or C.S. Lewis, Lewis and Tolkien. C.S. Lewis is three for three. <laughs> So they didn't really, they just thought Disney was very vulgar. Yeah. What, what was the opinion at the time, though? Because I'd, I'd imagine the general public wouldn't see oh, Snow White as well. Uh, yeah, I think it was sort of, like, without even being kind of exa- over-exaggerated, I think it was kind of like the avatar of its day. It was like mm. that people had literally not seen anything like mm. this before. So, um, yeah, it was a kind of, a, like, a real event to go and see a kind of, it's something like 70, 80 minutes of, like, full-colour, animation it was for a time like the most successful sound film so um even sound at that point was still kind of quite extraordinary so 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 to suddenly have kind of whistling bluebirds and (laughs) winking doves and things and songs why did he think the winking dove was so vulgar i don't know it was just an odd character c.s lewis the more i read it the more i kind of question what he was like he was he was an an odd fella yeah he was yeah there was actually, I should say, there was a lot that they did like about it. They liked how quite dark it was at times, mm. and the, they liked the use of shadows and silhouettes and things, um, and the portrayal of kind of the evil animals like crows and all that sort of stuff. Oh, but they, uh, they the did doves. Like the he like doesn't like them. Doesn't like the winking dove. Doesn't like the dwarf. Right. Here's a bonus fact for you: Ooh. the um, uh, lady whose name I can't remember, who voiced the witch when she becomes the sort of old hag who gives her the apple. You know how she changed her voice. She oh. took her dentures out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we should try that on the next podcast. Yeah. We? It's also what you did for your um, passport photo. <laughs> <laughs> that You are really clutching at that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm leaving it in, though. <laughs> right. I want this to be true, and it feels mm-hmm. true, but you're starting to smirk again. Because if you get me... I'm going to hide behind the mic shield. I'm rubbing my temples He's again. rubbing his temples. He's, having, he's on the verge of another breakdown. Oh, Last just... facts of the of the second season. Oh. Right now. True. This is all true. Okay. Final answer. Okay. That story? Yep. I swear to God. <laughs> it's all true. Yes! <laughs> oh, yeah, God. talking and C.S. Lewis went to Thank see God. Snow White together. Oh. Well done. Thank God. I've <laughs> redeemed myself slightly. I'm, I'm, holding, I'm holding my chest like some sort of Victorian shocked woman. <laughs> Whoa. Right. Yeah, yeah well that was done. really good. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a weird fellow C.S. Lewis has turned out to be. Yeah, the more I read about him, yeah, it's kind of cold cold with him. I feel this is where the podcast is going. Just it's going to be <laughs> really long term investigation into the personality of C.S. Lewis. And talk. Do you want to be Lewis and talk or talking? <laughs> talking seems slightly more normal. Yeah. True. Yeah. Oh, I've won the episode as well. You have. Four yeah. Two. Four two. Well done. You broke the deadlock. Oh, you actually got think, one right. I think I'll have to go back and check. I think I've won season two. I genuinely can't remember. But then again, we have no... This is a fairly arbitrary scoring system. We don't know what's going on. Uh, yeah, no, I can't remember. And plus, like, this is the end of the second season, but what, we're into odd numbers? Yeah. <laughs> I don't... Let's just say I've got a moral victory overall. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what did we learn today? All my facts were true. I was going to say all of yours were all true, were yeah, true. which I wasn't expecting at all. We learned about, what, the, that giant Buddha statue? Yeah, uh, giant Buddha, 70 metres tall in Leishan. We also learned facts about the wonders of the world, the Colossus was made mm. of bronze... And all the weapons that were left there. Yeah. We learned about the invention of tea bags from you. And the flower wars in yeah, the Mesoamerica. Flower wars, yeah. Speaking of flowers, we found out um, that Sir Tatton Sykes uh, hated flowers oh. and would rather <laughs> would rather you grew a cauliflower. Thank you very much. <laughs> that actually, uh, that did sound like one of your jokes. 
The only flowers I want to see are cauliflower. <laughs> I was thinking as well because I had that fact about uh, Michael Faraday getting the that's, cauliflower growing record. I didn't mention it, but that's another reason I thought that was BS. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I might have you about that one. But um, there yeah, you and go. Yeah, C.S. Lewis went to see Snow White with Tolkien. And thought winking doves were vulgar. The more I find out about that page just being friends, it's just <laughs> kind of, I, yeah, we could do a whole other podcast on <laughs> things say, that they got like up to. spin off. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, well done, Tony. You've finished the, the series on a high. Thank you very much. And that is the end of season two. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll know us. We'll probably be back in about six to eight months when we get, <laughs> when we get another one together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're going into your re- silent retreat to uh, rebuild your uh, conscience. <laughs> I was going to say, this podcast has shattered my mind. That's, I want that as a review somewhere. But no, we will keep you posted when we'll be back for season three. And we will be back. We promise.